thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses 11 different problems that the Corinthians had. And last week, we started looking at the problem that Corinthians had with spiritual gifts. And uh, with each problem that Paul uh, addresses, he, he shares what the problem is, and then he shares the solution to the problem. But we noted that there are kind of two extremes that are happening back in that time that happen in our time when it comes to spiritual gifts. Uh, the first extreme is that only some of the gifts are for today and that some are not more uh, the, the miraculous gifts of healings and miracles and prophecy and tongues. And, and there are those who would say that you know, those are, are no longer for us today. And uh, we looked in detail uh, last week of how that's not really biblical. If you want to, uh, you miss that, you can go back to the website and listen. But the other extreme view is that, you know, anything goes. Oh, we believe in all the gifts, but we don't really have any order. We don't have any structure. You know, however you want to use them, however, you know, it happens is fine. And this is kind of where the Corinthian believers fell under the second extreme of anything goes when it comes to spiritual gifts, because they were not properly exercising gifts with the right purpose, with love, with proper order and the function that God had established for them. And, you know, today we have these extreme views as well. And, and it leads to either neglect, because you think, well, some gifts aren't even for today, so we're not going to pursue them. Or it leads to abuse where you just think anything goes and, you know, I don't follow the biblical patterns that God has established. And, and neither of those are what God wants. He doesn't want us to neglect gifts. He doesn't want us to abuse gifts. He wants us to use them in the proper way that the word of God clearly reveals that we should do that. And so the solution that Paul gives to this problem of neglect and abuse with spiritual gifts is that he lays down for for us eight different principles about spiritual gifts in chapters 12 through 14, uh, how to judge spiritual gifts, who the giver of spiritual gifts is and why that's important to know, what the purpose of spiritual gifts are, uh, unity within spiritual gifts, what that looks like, the need for spiritual gifts, the love that we need to have in displaying spiritual gifts, our heart that we should have towards them, and finally the proper function of spiritual gifts in the church. You see, you can have a detailed knowledge of every single spiritual gift, know what it means, know what it does, but if you don't understand these eight vital principles, then you're not going to understand why you should be doing it, how you should be doing it, the proper function that God has established for us, and you're going to miss the point completely like the Corinthians did. Now, last week we started with the first three vital principles about spiritual gifts that, you know, as we come to them, we need to judge them, judge if the person is glorifying, testifying, and exalting Jesus in how they exercise their gifts. You know, gifts are never about glorifying the person. It's never about me and my gift and how wonderful and and amazing I am. It's always to point to Jesus and glorify him and to testify of him. Second, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives each spiritual gift and he gives them as he wills. So we're not in control of what gift we get. We're not in control of when we get it. The Spirit of God is in control, not us. And the third purpose of spiritual gifts is to profit the church. 
The reason God gives spiritual gifts is for the profit, the benefit, the encouragement of the body of Christ. And when we miss that goal, that purpose, we completely miss why we have gifts to begin with. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the fourth and fifth spiritual gifts, uh, which focus on unity within spiritual gifts and the need we have for spiritual gifts. And Paul's going to start with this unity within spiritual gifts that's so important for us to understand because we often have a very uh, segregated and, and lone ranger kind of mindset with spiritual gifts sometimes. And so starting where we left off last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Now, in order for us to understand this first vital principle about unity within spiritual gifts, Paul gives us a great illustration, one that should be very familiar for us because we look at it in the mirror every single day. He gives us this illustration of the human body. The, the, the human body, as you look at it, Paul says, for as the body, speaking of the human body, is one, but has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. And so Paul is saying, hey, each one of us, we have one human body, but it consists of many different members. You got eyes, you got nose, you got mouth, you got ears, you got hands, you got feet, you got lungs, you got heart, you got brain. The, the list goes on and on of all these different members, but they make up one single body. But the key thing to understand here is just the different members with different functions all make up this one body. So Paul starts with this illustration of the human body, and then he goes on to say, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Interesting here, Paul says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, when the Bible speaks of baptism, the, the word baptism means to fully immerse into something. And the, usually the first thing that comes to our mind, the most familiar thing is water baptism. And, and that's what we do. We fully immerse someone in water to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there are more than that in Scripture. That's not the only baptism that the Bible refers to. And that's not the baptism that Paul is referring to here when he speaks of this baptism. He's talking about an immersion into the Holy Spirit, an immersion into Jesus Christ. You see, when you and I accept Jesus, we were baptized or, or immersed in Him. That's why Scripture re regularly calls us in Christ. You and I are in Him. It's a, a wonderful thing that happens once we accept Him. But another wonderful thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit is in us. It's immersed in us. And so, you know, we are in Christ. The Spirit of God is in us. But we also have this wonderful reality that once we accept Jesus, we are now all a part of this one body called the, the body of Christ, which consists of every single person who has placed their belief in Jesus Christ. And, and it doesn't matter 
where you've come from. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your social status. We all still come equally because we all are sinners and we come equally to Jesus recognizing He's the only way to be forgiven of our sins. And this is why Paul goes on, hey, whether Jews or Greeks, it doesn't matter what nationality, we become equal in Christ. Whether slave or free, it doesn't matter your social status, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're a slave, whether you're a master. We've all been made to drink into one spirit. So everybody who accepts Jesus becomes part of the body of Christ. And because of that, Paul reveals something very important in verse 14. He says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Well, since all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ are part of the body of Christ, it's not just consisting of one member, as in just one of us. It's not just me who's the body of Christ. It's every one of us here in this room and, and throughout the world who have accepted Jesus Christ. And so in verse 12, Paul gives this illustration of a human body, that one body that has many different members. These members look different. The nose, it looks different than the hand. The members have different functions. The, the ear has a different function than the eye. It lets you listen. The other lets you see. But just because they look different and function different, it doesn't mean that they're a part of a different body. They're still part of the same body, and they all work to the same goal, the same purpose, which is to use their function for the profit of the body as a whole. Now, after giving this illustration of the human body, Paul says at the end of verse 12, so also is Christ. And so he's comparing the, the human body being one body with many members to the body of Christ. And so just like the human body is one body with many members, members that have eyes and nose and feet, the body of Christ is one body with many members, me and you and, and everyone else who has accepted Jesus Christ. And so in this room, we have many different members who make up the body of Christ. And, you know, you look around and, and we look different. We also have different functions. We have different roles. We have different giftings, but it doesn't make us individual bodies. We're all still part of the one body of Christ. And hopefully we come together with the same purpose to profit each other, to profit the whole, to profit the body of Christ and encourage it. So Paul starts off with this general comparison of the human body, one member, uh, one body, many members, with the body of Christ being one body with many members. But now he's going to get more specific. He's going to give some specific examples to help us understand why unity within spiritual gifts is so vital and such an important principle for us to understand. Notice what he says in verses 15 through 20. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. So Paul starts off asking different questions that maybe different members of the human body would make. He says, you know, if the foot should say, 
because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Uh, The clear answer to these questions is no. If the foot declares itself not part of the body because it's not a hand, it's being both foolish and mistaken. Diversity does not disqualify a member from the body. Now, these questions that Paul shares about the human body are revealing what some Christians feel when they look at the body of Christ, what they're thinking. Paul puts the questions in the mouth of the believer, maybe who feels excluded uh, within the body of Christ, as if some Christians were saying, you know, I don't have this certain gift, or I don't have this certain role, and so I guess I'm really not part of the body of Christ. After all, hands and eyes are more important than feet and ears. You know, you see some Christians feel like, you know, since I don't have the, the, the gift of teaching and I only have the gift of helps, you know, I'm not part of the body. Or, or since, you know, um, you know, I don't have the gift of prophecy and only have the gift of administration, I'm not part of the body because they think this gift is way more important than my gift. And therefore, since I don't have this important gift and I have this non-important gift, I must not be a part of the body. Well, Paul wants these Christians who feel like they're not a part of the body because they have a different gift or a different role to understand you are indeed part of the body. And their feeling that they're not a part of the body is just as foolish and mistaken as a foot thinking I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand or the eye thinking I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an ear. You know, of course, you're still part of the body. You're still important. You're still essential. So if you're someone who feels like this person that Paul is describing, you feel like, you know what, I'm not really part of the body because, you know, my gifting or my role is different from others. And I I feel like my gifting or role isn't really very important. If you feel like that, please understand what God's word is saying. You are important. You are essential to the proper function of the body of Christ. Your gifts are important. Your role is important. Your presence here is important. You know, Satan's the one who loves to try to convince us we're not important. We're not important, period. We're not important to God. But he loves to make us think we're not important to the body of Christ. And why he does that is because he knows if you don't think you're important, if you don't think you have any value, if you don't think your gift has any value, then you're unlikely to come and use it. Sometimes you're unlikely to come at all. You know, what's the purpose of coming to church? I have no value. I have no importance. I don't bring anything to the table. And he wants us to believe that lie so that we won't come and be used by God and use the gifts that God has given us for the profit of the body. So don't buy into his lies. You are important. You are essential to the body. You know, oftentimes those who feel like their gift or their role isn't important, they also think that another gift and another role is really important. And sometimes they conclude, you know, if the church was just full of people with that gift and that role, the body would be so much better off. If I just had that gift and that role, then the body of Christ would be so much better off and it would function so much better. Well, in verse 17, Paul poses two more questions. For those who are kind of thinking with that kind of mindset, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? 
Paul wants us to understand if the human body consisted of just one member, that would have serious ramifications. There would be a pretty big problem and a lot of functions that wouldn't happen. Imagine if the body was just a giant eye. It might do a good job seeing, but that's all it would do because it wouldn't be able to touch or smell or breathe or think or taste. And the bottom line is it would die because it couldn't function on its own. It needs everything else to help it survive and to function properly. So if the whole human body was just one member, it wouldn't function properly and ultimately would end in death. It would be missing all of the other members of the body that keep it alive and help it function the way it should. And Paul's bringing this up because it's the same thing is true with the body of Christ. If the whole body of Christ was just one member with one role and one gifting, it might do that thing well, but it would fail to do everything else and it would ultimately die. You know, I hear people say a lot, you know, if everyone could just have the role of the pastor, if everyone could just have a role and a gift of teaching, man, the body of Christ would be so much better off. No, it wouldn't. We would be missing so many vital functions that would no longer happen. If everyone had the role of pastor and the gift of teaching, we would ultimately die. Because everything else that keeps and sustains spiritual life within the church would no longer exist. And that's one of the reasons that churches start to spiritually die. It's because a large portion of the congregation has bought into this lie that, you know what, I have nothing to bring, nothing to offer, nothing to contribute, and so I'm just going to come to take, I'm not going to come to give, I'm not going to give of my gifts. And so you have a church that is only functioning with just a very few amount of gifts, and all the other gifts that the body of Christ has been given aren't being used, and the result of that is this slow spiritual death, and sometimes a fast spiritual death, depending on how many people are not using the gifts that God has designed the body of Christ to work with. What makes the body of Christ the body of Christ is the fact that it is diverse with many different members using different gifts and fulfilling different roles. So not only is diversity in the body of Christ acceptable, it's essential. We have to have it or the body of Christ can't work the way that God designed it to work. So the body of Christ cannot work properly just with a few gifts or a few roles being used. We need all of them. That's the way that God has designed it. You know, when I was doing an internship at Calvary Chapel's Bible College in Austria, every semester you would get pastors, especially over in Europe, and they would come, you know, and they're trying to recruit students, trying to recruit interns, trying to recruit whoever they can, you know, usually for church plants or uh, joining an already existing ministry there. And I remember one semester, there were two different pastors who came, and they were seeking to plant two different churches. One was going to be in the Ukraine, uh, the other was going to be in Hungary, and both of them came to me and talked to me about joining this church plant team. And I found interesting how each one approached it and what each one was looking for. And the gentleman who was Hungarian uh, and he was seeking to plant a church in Hungary in his hometown, he was a gifted teacher. He was a gifted pastor. But the thing that I found interesting is he was looking for people who were just like him. 
He was looking for other people who were gifted teachers, who were different gifted pastors, and he found three guys who were gifted just like he was. And I found interesting that, you know, the, the, the group there in the Bible college started calling this the dream team because they thought, wow, you know what? If you get a bunch of gifted pastors and teachers together, that's all you need. And this is going to be so amazing and God's going to do this great work. And when they came to me and they started talking with me, I'm just thinking, you know what? We're all the same giftings. What about all the other giftings that we're going to need? Who's going to do all the other stuff when we're out there? Uh, and at the same time, this gentleman from the Ukraine, he had already gone and he planted a church in the Ukraine and he was looking for someone else and a whole other team to plant another church that he wasn't going to be a part of. He was just recruiting. And so he came to me and asked me to pray about considering being a part of, you know, pastoring this. And he says, you know what? We're going to need this role and this role and this role. And we have these different people who have committed to it. But the one main role we're missing is someone to lead this and pastor and teach. And so, you know, it was very interesting just kind of seeing the different, you know, mindset there. But I didn't feel God was calling me to either one of those. Uh, but I did notice, you know, what happened as they went out. The supposed dream team that everyone thought was going to do so well, it didn't even last six months. The only guy that was left was the Hungarian pastor, and he ended up coming back to the Bible college a year later, recruiting people that weren't gifted teachers and gifted pastors, and realized, I need a whole group of people that can fulfill the other roles. But the team that went out with all the different roles, that church in Ukraine is still going strong today. Uh, and so they recognize, you know what, for, for the body to function properly, you can't just have a bunch of people with the same gift and role, or it won't work. And so this is something that I think is so important for us to understand uh, and for us to recognize as well. So if you have thought, you know, the body of Christ would be so much better off if I didn't have the gift or role I had, instead I had this other gift. Actually, it'd be better off if all of us had this gift and this role. Well, you're wrong. We don't need a bunch of people with the same gift and role. We need diversity. We need all the gifts to work, and we need to just be faithful with what God has given to us and use it for the profit of everyone else. Well, Paul has some more to say about this in verses 18 through 20. But now God has set the members, each one of them, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. What Paul says here is very important for us to understand. God has set each member in the body, but notice what he says. He has placed us into the body just as he pleased. All of us, the different roles, the different gifts that we have been given, it's something that God has given as it pleased him. Not as it pleased us, not as we desire, not as our will, like we looked at, you know, when we looked at the first three things. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us he wills, and it's God who gives it as it pleases him to give to us. So your role, your spiritual gift were given to you by God. Why? Because it pleased God to do it. And you know what? It pleases God when you use it. And it displeases God when you don't. It's my pleasure to give you this gift so that you might use it to bless the rest of my body. And when we think, man, that's such a horrible gift. I don't want this gift. Why didn't you give me that gift, God? It displeases him. Here's the gift that you don't deserve, and I'm giving it to you. And all I ask is that you would use it for my glory and use it to benefit the body. And when we reject that and neglect that or abuse that and say, this isn't the kind of gift I want, then the pleasure in giving it to us brings displeasure because we're not using it the way that God has designed it 
to be used. So with that reality, you know what? You can't take pride in what you've been given because it's a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not like you got this gift because you're so much more spiritual or so much better than everyone else. And you can't take shame. Oh man, I got this gift that's just not as good. Hey, God gave it to you. Don't be shamed of it and don't be prideful in it. Just be blessed that God gave you something and use it the way he desires you to use it. In the design, we see the wisdom of the designer. Everybody has something, but nobody has everything. And I want you to think about that. Everybody has a gift that God has given them, but no one of us has every gift. And that was purposeful. It was designed by God because he doesn't want us to think, I can do it all on my own. I've been given all the gifts myself. I don't need anybody else. The reality is here, you get this gift and you're going to need all these other people with the other gifts to work together with you in order for the body of Christ to function properly. Now, those with the biggest problem understanding that everyone's gifts important and that every person is important, it's often people who think that, you know, they have the more spiritual or glamorous or important gift within the body of Christ. And, you know, we see this with believers today. And so Paul has something to say to people who think that they're better because the gift that God has given them, they're more spiritual, they're more important, you know, that they have this kind of arrogant uh, uh, thought about themselves because of the gift that they've been given. Notice what Paul says in verse 21 and 22. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No. Much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Paul starts by saying, hey, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you hand, nor the head to the feet, I don't need you feet. How foolish and wrong it would be for the eye to do that. Oh, I I don't need the hand. Oh, really? So when when you look at those things and you want those things and you want to hold those things, you want to grab those things, guess what? You can't because you don't have the hand to do it. Or the head saying, well, I don't need the feet. Really? Those places that you want to go and that you're thinking about and, you know, that you want to travel to, how are you going to get there? The feet are the things that take you to those places. And so how foolish and wrong it would be for either of those to claim, hey, I don't need this other part of the body. Of course they need the other part of the body. They wouldn't be able to function properly without it. And so Paul is really, you know, dealing with those with this kind of prideful, superior mindset that I got this great gift and I don't need you and your inferior gift to my gift. And sadly, that's a reality. And it's kind of like the head saying, hey, I'm the head. I'm the most important. And I don't need you feet because, you know, you're the ones that are stuck in shoes and smell. You know, you're not important. I'm important. But we have that within the body of Christ where people kind of have this prideful, superior concept of I'm all that matters and I don't need anyone else. You know, and sadly, I will say that there was a time in my Christian life that I felt this way, that I fell into this trap of recognizing gifts that God had given me and starting to get prideful in them and starting to think, you know, I can do this all. I don't need so-and-so with their inferior gift because look at what God has given me. And God had to humble me. God had to, you know, allow me to fail and show me, you know what? See, you need these other people. This is how I've designed things. It's not about you. It's about me and recognize this. And it took me a little bit of time to do it, uh, but it was a great lesson that God taught me in that. Paul goes on to say in verse 22, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are 
necessary. You know, oftentimes we consider part of the human body unnecessary or of low importance until it starts to hurt. And then all of a sudden we recognize this thing that we thought wasn't necessary is actually quite necessary. I remember, you know, a while back I had a pretty big ingrown toenail on my big toe and I always thought, you know, the big toe, that's not a necessary part of the body. You know, who needs the big toe? It's kind of this insignificant thing. But once it started hurting and I started to not try to put any pressure on it, I realized my big toe is essential for me to walk properly. You know, I started to recognize, you know, it played a much bigger part in my body than I initially gave it credit for. And, you know, so Paul's bringing up this reality that oftentimes, you know, we feel that certain giftings and certain roles are, are so necessary and then these other roles aren't really, but that's not often the case. In reality, the parts of the body that are hidden are more essential to the life of the body. Think about it. You could chop off my arm, which we think, man, this is so essential. I do so much with it. How am I going to eat again? I can still live. You could chop off both my arms, I could still live. You could chop off my arms and my legs, and I could still live. You could chop off my tongue, and I would no longer be able to speak, but I could still live. You could take my hearing, you could take lots of things, and I would still be able to survive, but you take my lungs, I'm dead. Take my heart, it's over. Take my brain, take my kidney. You know, these are the hidden parts of the body that people don't see, but actually they're much more necessary because if you lose them, you instantaneously die. In the body of Christ, it's the gifts and roles that are seen. That people seem to be, oh, those are more necessary. Like myself, I'm seen. I'm in this pastoral teaching role. I'm in front of you. You know, Colson's in a worship leading role. You know, these roles where they're more seen. That's just the reality of it. More people see it. We place this greater necessity upon them. And then the roles that people don't see, we often don't feel that they are as Necessary. Well, Paul wants to make very clear that is not the case. Everybody's gifts are necessary. You know, a sea captain and a chief engineer argued which one of them was more important to the ship. And failing to agree, they they resorted to this plan of fine. I'll take your job, you take my job, and we'll see which one's really more important. So the chief engineer ascended to the bridge, and the captain went to the engine room. And a couple hours later, the, the captain appears, you know, covered in oil and soot, and he's waving this wrench around, and, you know, he, he yells to the chief, and he says, you have to come down here, I can't make her go. Of course you can't, replied the chief. She's aground. Both of these men failed to do what the other did so well and finally came to a recognition that they needed each other. So if you're someone who feels like this person that Paul is describing, you feel like you're better, you feel like you're more important or more necessary than other believers because of the gift that God has given you, the role that God has given you, understand what God's saying here. That is prideful and you are wrong. You are not better You are not more important. You are not more necessary. All of us are important. All of us are necessary. All of us are essential to the proper function of the body of Christ. Paul goes on to say in verse 23 and 24, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. 
You know, there are parts of our human body, especially in our culture and in most cultures, which we would say are unpresentable, that we don't walk around naked. We cover those with our clothing because we don't feel like they are presentable. But there are parts of the body, like you can look at me, my hands are presentable, my face are presentable, you know, even when it's hot, my legs, my feet, uh, my arms. You know, but that's pretty much as far as we go, uh, unless maybe we're at the beach, we go a little farther. But we recognize that, you know, we are going to cover those parts of our our body, which we feel are unpresentable, and we're going to be, you know, able to show or, or not uh, cover those parts which are presentable. But you know, something that Paul's bringing up here is those those parts that you know we kind of consider less honorable because they're hidden. We actually give great honor to them in how we clothe them the way in which we do. And just like we give great honor to the hidden parts of our body as we clothe them carefully, Paul tells us something important that God does for those hidden parts of the body, for those people who aren't in the seen roles and the seen gifts that everybody knows about. Notice that Paul tells us God gives greater honor to those who lack it. You see, in the body of Christ, with these roles that we have that are seen like a teacher or a pastor or a worship leader, we're getting honor regularly from the body of Christ who sees and demonstrates honor to us. But yet you also have a group of people that are doing things that are not seen, like those who came last night, that none of you probably know who they are, that set all this up, that set all the sound stuff up, that made this possible for us, you know, to have this service like we're having it now. You didn't see them. They didn't, you know, sit in front and say, hey, last night, look at what we did. It was something that was unseen and hidden, but made this possible. You know, when we have our, our lunches and the fellowship, you know, there are ladies who slave over and make these big meals, and oftentimes you don't know who's done it you enjoy the food but you know they're kind of hidden in their own kitchens you know doing things and serving in different ways there's a lot of people who do things in the background and we have a tendency to kind of give more honor to those that we see doing ministry and neglect to give honor to those that we don't see and sometimes it's just a matter because we don't know what they're doing but something important for us to understand is that God makes up for what's lacking He says, you know what, for those of you who aren't getting the honor that is due to you, because you're doing things in the background, because you're doing things that are more hidden, because you're doing things and people don't even know about it, I know about it. And I'm going to give you greater honor because you're serving faithfully, even when you don't get the pat on the back, even though you don't get the praise from people, even though you don't get the honor that you deserve, I'm going to give you greater honor because I want no one to be lacking. So if you feel like you're that kind of person who's the the hidden, the, the unseen, that you know a lot of what you do, what you've been gifted in, what your role is, is more behind the scenes. You're not up front. People don't know a lot of what you do, but you're faithfully serving in a different capacity that's more hidden. I want to encourage you what the Lord says here. Of You might feel like, man, I'm so hurt that I don't get the kind of recognition that the pastor does or the honor that others do. But recognize the best honor is not from people. The best honor is from God. And he gives greater honor to those who are lacking it within the body of Christ. Now, God gives this greater honor really for a specific reason. Because there's a problem that often happens as people in the body of Christ feel like they're not getting the honor that they deserve. And so notice what verse 25 and 26 says. 
that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. God gives this greater honor to those who are lacking it for the main purpose of the fact that he does not want there to be any schism in the body of Christ. This Greek word that is translated schism uh, means to tear or divide. And this is something that you see within the body of Christ, and it often comes from those who are hurt because they feel like, I serve so faithfully, and I'm kind of behind the scenes, and no one really recognizes me, no one really appreciates me, no one gives me the honor that I deserve. And so they kind of divide themselves or tear themselves from the body because they're hurt by you know what they feel is, is a slight to them. And you can understand why they would feel that way. But, but God wants you to recognize, I'm giving you greater honor. So, so don't divide yourself. Don't feel like, man, I deserve this and I'm not getting it. You deserve this and you are getting it. You're getting it from God himself. And so he's done this so that we wouldn't have this tear, this divide within the body of Christ. But there's also another reason so that the members should have the same care for one another. You know, since God has gone out of his way to make sure that those who have these unseen gifts are getting what's lacking to them in honor, he's revealing to us he wants us to treat each other in an equal way. He shows that, hey, they're lacking, so I'm going to make up for it, which shows that I want an equality. I don't just want some people getting all the honor and everyone else getting nothing. I want there to be an equality of honor that is given out to the body. And so he's bringing this recognition to us, and that's why it says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, when one part of your human body is suffering, it starts to affect the rest. You know, you got pain in your leg and it starts to hurt the rest of your body. There's a reality that because we are connected in our human body, it just takes one part of our body to hurt and that starts to affect the rest of our body in a negative way. But the opposite's also true. You, you get a part of your body that's feeling great and you know what, maybe you have some aches and pains and all of a sudden something's doing so well, you had this wonderful day and it's amazing how that impacts the rest of your body and how it feels in a positive way. Why? Because you're totally connected. Well, what Paul wants us to see is in the body of Christ, that's the same truth. We are connected. And so if one member is suffering, that should impact the rest of us. It should cause there to be a pain that, that, that connects us together because that one person is going through difficulty. It shouldn't just be like, well, you know, good luck with you. And it doesn't impact me at all. There should be a reality that you're part of the body. And so if you're going through difficulty, then that impacts me as well. And so I want to care for you. I want to help you. I want to be there for you to help with this pain. Just like if I cut my leg open, I want to be like, well, leg, I hope you heal. You know, the rest of my body would wrap that up and do everything it could to make it heal quicker, to care for it so that the body would function the way that it was meant to function before that took place. But also on the other side of the coin, you know, if one of the parts of the body is honored, Oftentimes, someone gets blessed in the church or someone gets honored in the church, and instead of rejoicing with them and being excited for them, we get bitter. Why didn't you bless me, God? Why didn't you give me that honor, God? Why them and not me? And instead of just being happy for them and recognizing, hey, we're all part of the body, and so if they're blessed, I'm blessed. If they're honored, I'm honored. What a wonderful thing. Let's rejoice with them. We too often are prideful, and it's all about me. And so we're like, God, why didn't you do that for me? Why'd you do that for them? 
And so that's wrong as well because we don't recognize the connection that we have within the body of Christ. So whether they're suffering or whether they're honored, it should impact the rest of the body. So in these verses, Paul reveals to us the fourth and the fifth vital principle about spiritual gifts. The fourth vital principle focuses on unity within spiritual gifts. The body of Christ only functions properly when all spiritual gifts are unified together and we understand the body needs more than just what we can offer. The body of Christ is made up of many different members. It's strong when we're unified together, when we're using our gifts together, and it's weak when we feel like it's just me and I'm just going to do my thing and I'm not going to worry about anybody else. That's not the way we were designed as the body. That's not the way that we should function. The fifth principle focuses on our need for spiritual gifts. Each one of our gifts is necessary for the body of Christ to function as God has designed it to. We need to understand we're needed. Because when you don't understand that, you're far less likely to use your gifts. You're far less likely to come with a desire to be used by God. You are important and you are essential to the body of Christ. So Paul has made clear that there is one body of Christ with many different members with different roles and different gifts. And now he's going to finish this just sharing some of those roles and and what they look like. And so let's see how he finishes in verses 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. If you remember back in verses 8 through 10, Paul gives nine spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God gives to us. That's not all of them, but he just shares with us nine gifts that you know we possibly can get if the Spirit of God chooses to give them to us. And now he shares with us eight different types of members of the body of Christ uh, that God has appointed to use different gifts. He says, first, there are apostles. Now, this word apostle means one sent out by God with orders. When we hear that word, we, we think of the initial, you know, 12 apostles that God had established, those that walked with Jesus and then Paul coming, coming on later. But, um, you know, they had God send them out to do amazing things and he miraculously used them in powerful ways, but they had a unique uh, ability, many of them, to be used by God to write the New Testament. And, and the New Testament is now complete. And so those who might play a similar role to apostle today in the church world definitely do not have the capacity to write new books of the Bible that is complete and done. And, and there are those in the body of Christ who take on that role or claim to be apostles and claim that now, you know, I've written something that is equal to, you know, the Word of God. And that's something that you can be confident is not taking place, but there are those who are sent out with orders from God, used in significant ways by God. Um, The second thing that Paul shares here are prophets. Uh, We looked at before the gift of prophecy. Well, the gift of prophecy is given to someone who is a prophet, someone that God chooses to speak through. He gives a specific message to for a specific group of people, and he uses that person to deliver that message. And they, as we looked at before, they can't just speak prophecy whenever they want. It's when the Spirit of God 
chooses to give them a message. And then they have to be faithful to deliver that message to those that God has given them to. The third are teachers. Teachers are those that God has gifted to understand his word and then to communicate his word to the body of Christ so they might be profited, built up, edified. Fourth, there are workers of miracles. Uh, those are th- people that God uses to do something miraculous. Uh, as we looked at last week, something that kind of goes against the laws of nature. It's a miracle. It's something that, you know, we would think was impossible. Well, with God, nothing's impossible. And so he uses people to do that. And we see that throughout scripture of, of God doing miracles himself and doing miracles through others. Uh, then fifth, there are the gifts of healings. Uh, this is more specifically uh, God using someone to heal someone who is in need of healing from sickness in, in any type of way. Uh, and so he would use that individual uh, to pray for and move through them uh, to heal the individual that um, was in need. Now, notice these first five roles. These are more of the seen gifts. You know, if you're an apostle, you're a prophet, you're a teacher, you know, you're doing healings or miracles. You know, people are going to see that. And that's the ones that often get the greater honor. They see it. They're like, wow, that's so amazing how God's using you. And, you know, so you you get that uh, honor that we've kind of looked at. But next three roles are more of the unseen roles that often don't get the same kind of honor uh, from the church. Six, we're told there's the helps. The gift of helps. This is a very important gift within the body of Christ that God gives people the ability to help within ministry, to help within the needs of people in the church. And so, you know, there's people who just like to help, but there's those that are supernaturally gifted to be very effective uh, in doing that. And if we didn't have that in the body of Christ, we would have lots and lots of problems. But oftentimes that's behind the scenes. Oftentimes people don't know what's happening with that. And so usually those people don't get the same kind of honor. Honor, but God gives them greater honor. Seventh, there are administrations. You know, this is people that God have gifted with, you know, administrative skills specifically for the church. I mean, there can be people who are very, you know, administratively minded in the, in the culture and the workforce, but this is something that God has established within the body of Christ to be able to help administrate things in the church, which uh, is very, very important. You can see when that is lacking, when there's so much lack of organization and things are really crazy, it's probably because there's not someone in the body using the gift of administration and that body needs it. Um, Eight, there are a variety of tongues. You know, as we looked at last week, the gift of tongues. This is something that, you know, God gives to certain people. Uh, and so, you know, once again, you know, part of this list. Now, after sharing this list, Paul asked some important questions about each one of these roles, each one of these gifts. And the answer to each one of these questions are kind of rhetorical with the answer, no. But notice what he says. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret tongues? No. Now notice, all of these roles are necessary, as we noted. They're all important for the body of Christ. But the thing that Paul is ending with, reminding us, is no one has all of them. We need each other because you have one gift. I have another gift. You have another gift. You have another gift. We're not all given all these gifts. And so we need each other for the body of Christ to function properly. And on a little side note, I will mention this. There are those within the church world who make a claim that if you are truly spirit filled, the evidence of that is that you speak in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not spirit filled and you got problems. That is not biblical. 
And we see here, do all speak in tongues? And the clear answer is no. God gives that gift to some people, but he doesn't give it to every believer. So the, you know, the thought that, you know, you're only, uh, Filled with the Spirit, if the outworking of tongues has happened, that is not a biblical thing. That's not a biblical. You'll probably hear that if you engage with people um, on this topic for long enough. And so just understand that is not something the Word of God teaches. So in these verses, Paul shares with us two more vital principles about spiritual gifts. The body of Christ only functions properly when all the spiritual gifts are unified together and we understand that the body needs more than just what we can offer and each one of our gifts is necessary for the body of Christ to function as God has designed it to. When you understand these two vital principles, then you get the fact that, you know what, your gift is important. You need to come and use it. You're important. You being here at church is important. It's essential. Hopefully this recognition helps you to see I am important. I am essential to the proper function of the church. And so when I don't come and when I don't use my gifts, then the church isn't functioning the way that God has designed it to. Now, some of you might believe that this isn't true. And the reason you believe it's not true is because maybe you've been coming for a while or you've been going to church for a lot of time in your life and you've never used any gift. You've never you know, done that. You don't even know what your spiritual gift is and you've never used it. And you've concluded the body of Christ functions fine without me. Something I want you to recognize is there's a difference between functioning the way it should and coping because you're not doing what you're doing. The body of Christ will cope just like your human body will cope, you know, my arm or Jenny's back, she's got her back messed up. Her, her body can try to cope with that and, and still, you know, help her. You know, you lose your arm. You, you can still cope and the rest of your body will kind of, you know, do what it needs to do. But you're not functioning the way that you were completely designed to function. You're coping because you're lacking something that you need. Within the body of Christ, we're coping oftentimes and people look around and they think you're functioning fine. No, we're not functioning fine and we're not functioning the way that God designed us to function. We're coping with what we have, with the gifts that are being used, with the people that are willing to use their gifts. But for those who are not, you're not helping ultimately with the ultimate goal of using your gift for the profit of all. And so don't buy into the lie that it's all great without me. No, it's not. You're important. You're essential and you're necessary, so come and use your gifts. In a mountain village in Europe several centuries ago, a nobleman wondered what legacy he would leave to his town people. At last, he decided to build them a church. No one got to see the plans for the church. They only got to see the the finished product. And when they gathered together, they marveled at its beauty. They marveled at the completeness of this church building. And then someone asked, but where are the lamps? How is it going to be lighted? Well, the nobleman pointed to some brackets in the walls and he gave each family a lamp, which they were to bring to church every time that they came. And he said to them, each time you are here, when your seat, where your seat will be lighted and each time you are not here, the area will be dark. This is to remind you that whenever you fail to come to church, some part of God's house will be dark. And I think that's a great picture for us of reality of, you know what, sometimes we just think it doesn't matter if I'm there. It doesn't matter if I come to bring my gift. It doesn't matter. You know what? There's a part of the fellowship that's dark because of that. The light that you bring, the gift that you have, what you have to offer is not being used and it's not good for the church. And so recognize, come with a desire and come with a willingness to use the gifts that God 
has given you. So if you leave with nothing else this morning, understand you're essential to the body of Christ. God has given you a gift. He's given you a role. He wants you to use it. You are important. You are essential. And if what you do is hidden, God will give greater honor to you because of it. Well, Paul ends this chapter by saying, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. The gifts are great, but there's something even better, which is love. And that's what chapter 13 is going to be all about, and that's what we're going to focus on next week. But you know what? The greatest demonstration of love is the love that God showed us by sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And as it's the first Sunday of the month, we're just going to take some time to remember what Jesus has done for us. But I want you to think about something from what we've looked at this morning. The fact that you are in Christ, the fact that the Holy Spirit is in you, the fact that you are a part of the body of Christ, all of that is only possible because of what Jesus Christ did when he sacrificed himself for your sin and for my sin. The only reason we can have anything that we have, all these blessings, all that we're talking about, using gifts that God has given us, start with the greatest gift of all, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to take some time just to remember what Christ has done, to focus on that. As we looked at even in chapter 11, you know, to to look back and remember, but also to look forward to his return. But most importantly right now, to look within, to examine ourselves. And if you've come here this morning and you know that there's unconfessed sin in your life, you know you've been doing things that you haven't dealt with, before you come and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made to pay for that sin, I challenge you just to get before him, ask for his forgiveness, repent before him. And you know what? The Bible is very clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so let's just take a moment. I'm going to have the worship team come on up right now. Uh, they're going to lead us in a song. And we're just going to take some time to be quiet before the Lord as the uh, communion elements are passed out. And I just want to encourage you just to hold on to those elements. Uh, we will all take them together at the end. But uh, as the worship team's coming up and getting prepared, I'm just going to read something that we actually looked at in detail uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but just a reminder of, of what we're doing. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So I just want to encourage you just to take some time to be quiet before the Lord. If you need to confess some sins, go ahead and do that. And just prepare yourself for this time of communion.